Hi, it's Rebecca Whitman, your host of the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I'm a top-rated life coach, an international best-selling author, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I'm on a mission to help you go from burned out to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. The experts on this show will help you achieve work-life balance so that you can experience abundance in seven pillars of life, spirituality, health, emotions, romance, mindset, social, and financial life. When you have all seven pillars of life in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I am your host, Rebecca Whitman, helping you go from burned out and overwhelmed to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. I have got to thank you all from the bottom of my heart. We are rising in the ranks of the podcast rankings. We have been holding steady at top 1% in self-help. And it's because of my wonderful listeners like you who listen every week and rate, review, subscribe, share the podcast, whatever you're doing, keep it up because we are enjoying the top 1%. And that means that more people are getting the message that you don't have to live exhausted, depleted, and burned out. You can raise your vibration and live life balanced, beautiful, and abundant. So thank you so much. Today, we have an amazing guest. Her name is JJD Geronimo, and she is going to talk about all things energy and frequency and how to accelerate your impact while staying balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Because I know she struggled with burnout a long time ago. And she found her way out and is empowering so many people to do the same. So welcome to the show, JJ. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I am so excited to discuss all things energetic frequency with you and so much more. And I'm not going to tell your wonderful story to my listeners. I'm going to let you do that, but I am going to tell them a little bit about your background. So JJ is a three-time award-winning author. She is a speaker and a former top executive in the tech industry. Her newest book, 74 Key Findings to Raise Your Energy, Sidestep Your Self-Doubts, and Align with Your Life's Work is her third best-selling book. She believes that every woman has a unique frequency that vibrates at the frequency of her highest potential. She is on a mission to help women raise their frequency to empower their future impact. So JJ, I was doing a little bit of research about you and I know that you had your own episode with exhaustion and burnout and kind of give us the journey of how you went from a top tech leader to doing the work that you're doing, empowering women. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah, I didn't think I was going to be one of those people. I've been working since I've been 12. I love working. I really do love it. It's one of my fuel stations. I really enjoy it. But I think what happened in my mid-40s is I thought at some point in my career, I would start to get 
a little bit more time for celebration. I would have a little bit more space for satisfaction. And what I realized that the carrot just kept on moving. Yeah, it's like whenever you achieve a goal, the ego's like, all right, I'm happy for five minutes. Now, what am I going to do? Now, what am I going to do? And it's like, it's exactly like chasing the carrot because when you are a slave to your ego, you're never going to find fulfillment and happiness because there's always something else to achieve, right? That we think is going to fix it. And I like to say that we're using outside things to fix a God-sized hole and it's just, it's never going to work. So, so how, how did you make your shift? What, what did you, what was your bottom and how did you get out of your bottom? Well, it's interesting because as like many of us, we're not just going to get up one morning and be like, okay, I have to shift now. Usually the universe brings us a package or multiple packages where it's like, bam, 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 bam. When you're like, oh, okay. Oh, 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 this is all happening right now. Okay. And that comes through our relationships that comes through our work that comes through contracts that comes through expectations. And I feel like kind of all that just happened at one time in a lot of ways. And so I didn't know what to do, to be quite honest with you. I ended up booking a therapist session because I was like, you know what? Wine is not curing this. I, you know, no self-help trip is going to cure this. Like I have a serious, serious, like life issue I need to deal with. And uh, luckily I went to the right person because she guided me after a couple sessions to go to mindfulness training. Uh, that I did not sign up for the first time because I thought it sounded absolutely ridiculous. I was a high <laughs> producing individual and that just sounded like too woo-woo for me, to be quite honest. So what were some of your symptoms of burnout? How did you know that, okay, like this is not working for me. Being a tech exec is just, it's not fulfilling me and I need to make some major shifts. Yes. Well, that happened a couple of years earlier and I ended up going to Sedona for my 40th birthday. And I write about this in my third book about the guilt, the guilt I had of going on a solo trip. And the funny thing is I made plenty of money, but I just felt guilty carving out time and money for my own exploration. But I knew when I was turning 40, that something had to shift. It wasn't until 2016 that really everything started falling down around me. But in 2013, I ended up going to Sedona and I talk in great detail about the guilt I had about asking my husband to go on this trip. Even though he's super supportive, I felt the guilt, you know, what happens inside actually happens outside as uh, Katie Byron would say, so, or Byron Katie. So, you know, I had to kind of work through my own emotions and then I had to get time off from work, which I had amples of time. But I just knew that my boss would give me a hard time about it. So I think that first step in 2013 of going to Sedona was really interesting because it was kind of where I was seeking to get clarity on the inner turmoil I was experiencing. Like I was exactly where I had hoped to be, yet where I was wasn't really filling me up the way I thought it should. What did you do in Sedona? Is that where you did the mindfulness retreat? Did you see a healer? Did you just hike? Like what happened in Sedona? That was such a turning point. Well, Sedona was one of the first steps. So I was used to write presentations and work on things after everybody went to sleep in my house. And I found myself looking for things to like soul life 
decisions, soul decisions, you know, turmoil. Like I was looking up all these crazy words and I kept landing on this retreat in solo in Sedona called soul survival or soul, soul awakening or something, but it was expensive. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine I spending this much money over three days, but I kept showing back up there and I eventually signed up for it. And then they customized a program based on what I was feeling and what I wanted out of the trip. And so they give you an agenda and then you drive around to all the practitioners homes that are vetted and are sort of this in this network of this woman who also experienced some of the things that we're talking about and ended up moving to Sedona and creating this. So that was the beginning. And then in 2014, I ended up leaving my job to write my second book and do more work, do more keynoting around the world. Well, uh, let me back up. This sounds like the coolest retreat. So you get a hotel room in Sedona and- yes. Instead of all the practitioners coming to speak to a group of women, they basically yes. set up one-on-one -on -one appointments with you and all these healers and you drive all around Sedona and get different sessions. Yes. And I can connect you to Deborah. I'll send you to her. <laughs> that sounds uh, so cool. Yeah. So we've become friends, Deborah, who started it. She was a lawyer and she had a very similar experience where like everything just fell around her and she found herself in Sedona running essentially this experience-based visits based mm -hmm. on what you were trying to kind of strive towards. And it was wow. amazing. One of my sessions was with um, an angel worker, which I didn't even really know what that was. I was like, okay. And when I, I was slotted for three hours with her and uh, she's in Cottonwood, which is outside of Sedona. She couldn't handle all the energy in Sedona. So I drove there and I was thinking, no one knows where I am. They don't know what I'm doing. I hear I am driving in Cottonwood, Arizona in my rental car. And I show up there and uh, I did not leave for four and a half hours. Incredible. And how long were you in Arizona having these experiences? How long was the retreat? So the retreat was slotted for five days. And I convinced him I had to do it in three days. <laughs> you were very swear. Busy. Swear. And I was doing emails all the way up there, all the way back. I mean, it's just so funny. I was such a high producer that I was like, if I get all this done, I can have these like 36 hours to myself. High producing is an addiction. It really mm -hmm. checking things off the list, sending email. It's an energy high. You get, you mm -hmm. probably like, it must be a dopamine fix or something because I am also yeah. a high achiever and I'm like, I'm having date night with my husband and we have a rule, no looking at your phone during the date. So the whole way to the date, I'm on my phone, like, you know, checking my email, doing social media posts. It's just, it's crazy. It is totally an addiction. Yes. And that's how I was going there. So then in 14, I ended up leaving my job, which for any listener that's gone from corporate into your own business, I mean, that is mind you know, challenged because everything that you defined yourself by disappears. And I found myself running my own business, but yet sharing what I used to do because I couldn't get my mind wrapped around who I was becoming because I didn't know how to define myself. And I thought that what I was doing, which was writing books and speaking was so foo-foo compared to what I used to do that I just wouldn't even give myself the space to lean into that fully. So when did you accept your new identity of being an <laughs> inspirational speaker and author? Like last year, I think. I mean, it's <laughs> taken a long time. And then in 16 is when everything kind of started crumbling around me. And so 
that's when I ended up going to mindfulness training because the therapist is like, I'm not meeting with you anymore until you go. And I feel like I'm just one of those people that almost has to be pushed into things sometimes, especially things that I don't really know I need, but that I desperately need. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I know I talk about this quote all the time, but one of my favorite spiritual mentors, Michael Beckwith, says we only change if we're pushed by pain or pulled by a vision. And most people will not change until they are pushed by pain and hit a certain kind of bottom. And so, that's where I was. Because I had had the vision since 13, right? But I didn't have the pain until 16. And that's what catapulted me into really visiting not only really, really learning mindfulness, but then visiting energy practitioners to help me work through the stories and energies that were no longer serving me. And I didn't really talk about this because I was a productive businesswoman and visiting with energy practitioners on the side of my desk seemed goofy, I think, to a lot of my clients and people that I work with. And that's why it took me almost six years to really be comfortable with the work that I was doing from the inside out. So you're a top producer in your industry and you have this little nagging voice that says, JJ, this is not you. You're meant to inspire women and be, be on stages and write books. And, and you just had this little nagging voice and you didn't have the courage to act on it until you went through all these healing experiences in Sedona. Am I getting it right? Yeah, well, that and 50 others. So I visited <laughs> energy practitioners online, in person. I was sort of learning. I'm a three in human design. So three is a trial and error. So you just go and try all different things and bring back the best practices. And I remember my parent kids used to leave on the bus. They were still in middle school. And the bus would leave. And like I literally would run back to the house, let the dog out, and drive two hours to Pennsylvania to visit this woman, Paula, that I did some energy work with conference calls all the way there, all the way back. And I would get back just as the bus would pull in. And I remember telling her, I've got to figure out a way to help more women work through their stories, work through their darknesses, work through things that they're not going to tell anybody that's really overshadowing their potential. Because not all women can drive to Pennsylvania on a Tuesday afternoon like I could. And so that's really what I had hoped to put together in my third book is strategies and tools to help women work through stuff that is no longer serving them, that allows them to create a catapult for where they want to have impact next. So as an author and a speaker coming from a tech business background, and then taking this deep dive into woo, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you, how do you translate that to business people? Cause I'm sure your ideal client is someone like you, who's a business person who feels unfulfilled and is on the verge of burning out. How have you learned to translate the woo-woo energy frequency into civilian terms, so to speak, to mm. the business world? That's great. Well, I just added Lightworker to my LinkedIn profile in the last 12 <laughs> months. So I'm slowly, but I do talk a lot about self-doubt because I think self-doubt is what a lot of energy practices help you sidestep. We're not going to get rid of our self-doubt. We're not going to package it up and put it in a box. It, that's not going to happen, as Brene Brown would say. We have to learn strategies to work around it. And our self-doubt, our stories, activities, actions that happened this lifetime or past lifetimes, if you believe that, that are still driving the things that you focus on, pay attention to, and do. 
And if women in particular is what I work with mostly, uh, if they have a desire to have more influence and impact than they have today, it's often their self-doubt that's holding them back the most. So what strategies do you tell women to overcome their, I like to call them limiting beliefs or their, mm-hmm. their old stories that are no longer serving them? Yes. Well, I have 52 chapters, so I have a lot of things they can work through. And all of us have different ones, but I'll just say the highlight. I mean, some highlights that I see across many women is one, we, a lot of us struggle with perfectionism. So perfectionism is often a hiding mechanism. And so you oh, really wait, need to wait, let's under- pause everyone, write that down. That, that was gold right there. Perfect. We need to stop you there. Cause that was incredible. I've never heard this perfectionism is often a hiding mechanism. Mm-hmm. See, I, I don't understand that. Explain that. Cause I think of perfectionism as wanting to look good. So you get more attention. So how is it a mm-hmm. hiding mechanism? So if you think about perfectionism and what that is and how that's shown up for you, think about a project, a situation, you know, most of us, including me, uh, I'd even say I was a perfectionist. I would overdo it. In many ways, I'd overdo it. I'd over deliver. I'd overread. I'd over prepare. You know, I would get my teams to do extra work. The reality is, perfectionism is a hiding mechanism because you have self doubt, or you have imposter syndrome, or you're struggling to believe you are, you should be in the role in which you are aligned to right now, and so you overdo so that nobody knows that you have any doubt in the role that you sit in. Mm, okay. So you do, so, you want to do such a good job and be so perfect that people don't see your inner insecurity or your vulnerable, vulnerable side. So it's kind of like a, a protective shield. Yes. And I'll just say someone will say to me, well, no, I do it because I want to get promoted. And I'm like, well, if you want to get promoted, yes, you have to do a good job in the role that you're in, but you also have to have executive visibility. You have to be aligned to certain projects often that have PL and really significant milestones and data points. And you need to have a sponsor, somebody who's in rooms that you're not invited to that will potentially leverage their social capital to help you. So if you think you're being perfectionist because you want to open future doors, let me assure you that that is only a piece of what you need to do to make that happen. And perfectionism for me was very much a hiding mechanism. And I did at times think it was opening doors, but in reality, it's more about what I did when I like working on my career than working in my career. And perfectionism is very much an in your career activity. So when we feel ourselves leaning into perfectionism, thinking we have to look perfect, sound perfect, be perfect, have the perfect body, the perfect relationship, the perfect home, the perfect kids. How do you combat perfectionism? I mean, first of all, like, like, doesn't that just sound exhausting? It does, but that's- Who the heck wants that? Women think that that's what they need to be is perfect. No, we need to be authentic. We need to be totally comfortable in who we are and knowing we're not perfect because we hide stuff all the time. I hide it. Everyone hides things. But I feel like for many women, like we need you just the way you are. We need more women women at more tables and- Unfortunately, if we're always trying to be perfect, we're never going to strive for that stretch project. We're never going to strive for that seat until we feel like we have every single thing done to now raise our hands. And this is why there's 
just so many challenges, not only inside of us, but outside of us of why women are not getting at the tables that we need to be at. They need more women at these tables. We need to balance the energy of the planet. And men are not as perfectionistic as women. They're, they're more comfortable being their authentic selves. Well, and that starts from a super early age, right? Women are often taught to be perfect much more than men at a very young age. Mm -hmm. So those are some of those stories. Like, how do you unwind those? And I've really been working just to be good at 70%. Like I kind of put stuff out at 70% now because I'm like, you know, if someone really wants to be better, they're going to tell me. And I feel like, you know, I need to do more and get to more places. So I just cannot burden myself with trying to be perfect all the time because I'm not. I'm not, nor do I care to be. I totally agree. I like the saying done is better than perfect. Mm, Yes. Because uh, people get into analysis paralysis where they don't take action toward their goals and dreams because they're researching it and wanting to be perfect. And there's so much that we can learn through taking action. Yes. Yes. And I, I follow Jen Sincero's book. You're a badass in the sense that she says, let me see what I can do. Let me see. Like if you're just going to see, you don't have to be perfect because you're not really aligning to any specific outcome. And that's a strategy I use to trick myself into leaning into things that are calling me. And I like what you said, if you're stuck in perfectionism, you're never going to have that stretch project, meaning you're never going to get out of your comfort zone and everything that we want is outside of our comfort zone. Well, very much so. And and the reality is there's a lot of research, especially women in STEM, that women that really succeed or get to that next level have self-efficacy and self-efficacy is having a vision for where you want to go and believing you can achieve it. But self-efficacy is learned and you can only learn it or collect the chips around it if you stretch before you're ready. So if you're sitting there saying, well, I was tapped on the shoulder to do something, but I wasn't ready, or I wanted to lean into this, but I'm not sure I'm ready. If you're 60, 70%, believe me, other people will tell you no. So just lean into it and check it out because you want to start collecting those self-efficacy chips. I love that. And what I like the saying, what would you do if there was no failure? Because if you're only 60 or 70% ready and you fail, so what? You're going to learn from failure and you're going to learn what works and what doesn't work through just taking action. So why not just go for it? Yes. And I'll even add to that. Like I'm a big collector of no's. Like I'm always like, let's just collect as many no's as we can because it's a numbers game. Like every no is closer to a yes. So start collecting your no's. And you know what? You can get no from the same person multiple times where a lot of people are like, well, they said no two years ago. So I just don't know if I'm going to ask again. Ask again. Half people won't even remember that you asked two years ago for that position. That is so true. People hear no once from one person and they will never go back. But they say it takes at least five to eight follow-ups to to make a sale or to make uh, an appointment. So keep going back. It's like our ego, though, is like, oh, as women, I feel like the no hurts us on such a deep level. And how do we how do you desensitize yourself to the no? 
Well, I was in sales for three years when my kids were super young and I got really comfortable with no, because I was told no all the time. It's a super hard job, but I would say that we have to remember as women that corporate America in the business world is mostly masculine energy mm-hmm. or all masculine and feminine energy, but women in particular have to check all of our knowing insight and wisdom at the door. So we're walking through the store with only 50% of our toolkit yet expecting ourselves to deliver at 120%. So that's where the exhaustion comes from. That's where like, I can't believe I have to do this one more day comes from. So I believe that sometimes you're just not aligned to the right place in your life. And I think doing some energy work or, you know, even Reiki, maybe doing some mindfulness classes gives you more self-confidence in what you really want to lean into. So that if you do get that, no, it's more of like, Hey, this is not the right door right now. Maybe I'll try the window. Maybe there's a back door. And I just feel like if it's really heavy on your heart of something you want to do, it will happen. So just keep at it. That is so wise. Well, now let's get into the woo. Let's talk about what what does energy frequency mean to you, JJ? Well, I think of like a radio station. So FM radio is frequency modulation. So I'm thinking, am I resonating at 85.7, 92.4, 99.7, you know, 102.5? I find that the higher I can work at, the more opportunities that I'm truly interested come my way. And so I have to really mine my energy and I do it very specifically. And it's taken me all these years to figure it out because there were times in my career where I was in the mud puddle. I was a practicing polluter. I was complaining about the coffee machine, the parking lot, my delayed flight. And I've had to really train myself to really focus on things that are serving me and energy that I want to resonate at. I've never heard that phrase. What does practicing polluter mean? Oh, practicing polluter. I wrote about my first book. It was a, it was some energy in my life, people in my life that showed up to parties or get togethers and they would come in the door, they would see you and they would basically pollute on you. Right. They're like, can you believe the valet is so backed up? I tried to get here, but then my car broke down. I had this happen at work and this person didn't call me. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Can't handle that energy. But when I was younger and my kids were little, I was in the wrong job. I was probably a practicing polluter too. And so I feel like we've all been there at some point in our life and we know it because we've turned into someone we really don't know anymore. We don't know how to get out of it. And I think the easiest way you can get out of it is really pay attention to what you are focusing on. So do you allow practicing polluters in your life anymore? Well, luckily, when you raise your frequency, when you go up the dial of your radio station and maybe you're at 99.7, practicing polluters don't hang out there. You usually attract like energy. So if you're kind of figuring out how do I get higher on my dial here, pay attention to what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're listening to, what you're saying to yourself, what you're saying about others, whether you say it out loud or not, like how are you moving through your life and what energy station radio station are you at? And if you have too many practicing polluters, you might need to get a mirror because often we attract what we're at. What, what kind of uh, diet do you have to keep your uh, frequency high? 
Oh, I, tr I would say I'm 80, 20, right? 80% I eat really great, but I did eat a bag of M&Ms today. So I have a 20% where I just, if my kids are eating pizza, I'm eating pizza. You know, I'm not like crazy, but you know, I just finished like a super great smoothie that has all these vitamins and energy. And I just feel like I feel better when I take care of myself. I mean, are you like plant-based, pescatarian, paleo, keto? Like what, what kind of- uh, Say pescatarian most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. And mostly just because I don't want to eat chemicals. You know, I just, I try to really try to stay away from chemicals as much as I can. So you feel that junk food and soda lowers your vibration? I do. Yeah. But you know, sometimes when I'm on my third flight on a Saturday, which happened this weekend, like I'm drinking a Coke. My sugar's low, like I need a Coke. So I think everything in moderation, but I would say that I really do try to think about how I take care of myself. Yeah, that's great. So and friendships, I just want to say friendships are a really big piece of this. Like some women carry friendships for a lifetime that are no longer serving them. Mm. And they'll say to me, well, they've been my friends in second grade, but they're such a practicing polluter. And I think for women- you really have to think about like, how is this energy serving me? And is this the best use of my time? And do I need to call them every single day? Or can I get down to three days a week or something like that? Because even though we have relationships that we've had a lifetime, sometimes they're doing more damage than good. And I think for women, that's really hard to wrap our minds around. But if you are somebody that is aspiring to have more influence, like influence and impact than you have today, you have to really think about how are you going to create that pad to catapult yourself forward. And energy is probably one of the biggest pieces of that equation. So what are some signs that a relationship, a female friendship is toxic and that we should distance ourselves from that person? Hmm. Well, I just think to think like what I always say is like, think about how you feel when you call somebody, mm -hmm. what's your energy is it positive or negative plus or minus. And how do you feel when you get off the phone with that person? Is it plus or minus? And I talk way about this. In my first book is that we have as many people talk about energy vampires, the people that just like suck your energy, use you, you know, basically lean on you for everything that has happened in their life. And I think we often need to just make sure we have enough pluses in our life and not all of our relationships are draining us. How many close female friends do you have that you talk to every week? Mm, I have a lot of females in my life, but I wouldn't say I talk to everybody every week necessarily. But I have groups of women that have been with me my life, my lifetime since third grade. I have friends from third grade. I have college friends. I have neighborhood friends. And oh, I have sister-in-laws. And as I've moved through my journey, my friends have changed. They have changed. You know, I moved to where I live now. I had one set of friends. I wasn't in the best place in my life when I moved here. And those, a lot of that energy has shifted over the 20 years. And my friends are very different. I have a lot of light worker friends in my community now that are doing amazing work. I have had the same experience as I continue to grow and evolve on my spiritual path. I have had major shifts in friends as well. And sometimes I've walked away, sometimes they've walked away. And I just know that it just is no longer a vibrational match. And I think 
that uh, if you're listening to this and you've had that happen, it can be really painful when someone walks away from you, but just know that all things are working together for your highest good. And just like JJ said, you know, when you evolve, sometimes your friends don't evolve with you and you get newer friends that are at your vibrational wavelength. And that's a beautiful thing too, to have new friendships because so many people once their, you know, college years or graduate school years end, they don't seek to cultivate new friendships. And I've had so many wonderful new friendships in the last few years that have just enriched my life. That's so nice. That's so nice. And I, I, I can empathize. I've had some really hard friendships slip away. Uh, and it's hard. It's like you're losing part of you at some level, but you do have to believe that there's a higher good. And especially when you're working in energy and you're really working on your own energy, it's amazing what doors open. Yes. So speaking of energy, why should we care about our frequency and how can we raise our vibration? You mentioned food. Um, I know you have some other tips and tools. Well, I think what you listen to, right? What are you listening Mm. to? You know, I used to watch all kinds of TV with my kids and my husband and all stuff. And now I just have to really be like, you know, that I don't want to see people hurting people before I go to bed. Like, even if it's just a murder mystery or like, I just cannot, I've learned I'm an empath. So I can't really take on all that energy. But I do love a good, you know, YouTube inspirational video, nature videos. Like I'm kind of grandma-ish now in my energy and the things I watch. But um, you'll once in a while, you will kind of watch me find, watch me The Bachelor once in a while. Because what bad happens on that is just a lot of emotion. And But it's, can check out. And so I think what you watch is super important, what you listen to and what you talk about. I have somebody in my life that just can agonize over something for 20 minutes, you know, of like, whatever, whether it's the grocery store clerk, the school board, the airline attendant, who it doesn't matter. It's like the same story. And I think, you know, we used to talk a lot and now we talk maybe twice or three times a week for a much shorter time. And I think she's found other people to talk to things about. So I think for many of us, we just have to work on our own energy and let other people's energy take care of itself. When you feel yourself getting derailed and you are feeling yourself complain or worry or obsessed about something, how do you reroute yourself to get your frequency back up? Yes. And this happens every week. So (laughs) I'm constantly working on it. Oh, you know, I'm a big practicer of gratitude. I heard Oprah talk about this probably 40 years ago, like write five things down at the end of the day. But honestly, I have to do it throughout the day. and. If I'm downward spiraling, I, this usually doesn't work, but if I start my day, just having gratitude for little things like clean water, hot tea, gas in my car, like really simple things, it can kind of set the stage for what's ahead in the day. But if I jump out of bed and just like I'm late or I'm rushing to get something where sometimes I forget to set that kind of milestone or metric of where I'm going to work. And I feel like I really just have to ground myself. So I literally put my feet on the ground, whether I'm in my car, on the street, in my office. And I just visualize sort of from the top of my head all the way down my body. I visualize just the energy that's no longer serving me or it has no positive anchor to just dribble or drain just like a faucet right down my torso, down my legs and right into the floor. And so it's almost like I 
physically drain the stuff that's no longer serving me. And then once I check my arms and shoulders and back, make sure all that energy is drained out, I essentially open the top of my head and I let the universal light, the higher purpose with higher energy and good for all shine in and fill up all that space that has no light in it or has just been drained. And I literally just let that light shine right down my head and neck, back, shoulders, front and back of my body, down my legs and into the floor. And then I think the higher God's a purpose for this energy. I close up my head, I open my eyes and I just start working again. And it happens like that fast. And does the energy that you're releasing or the energy that you're bringing into your body have a color? White usually. Well, when I was just doing it now, it was like green. The energy that was leaving my body was like a dirty green and the light coming in was white, but not always. The light, white light is always there for me. The color leaving can vary, but I can do that in literally 15 seconds. That's, that's a beautiful practice. So how do you actually practice gratitude? Do you write lists? Are you just like making mental notes? Are you practicing mindfulness? And thank you for this car as you're holding the steering wheel. Like, how do you practice your gratitude? Out loud. I just say it. I just say, thank you. Like, as though I'm talking to the universe, like I want them to know, like I am present. I am grateful for what I have, what you have already given me. And I'm preparing for what is next. And that's kind of how I move through life. And even we didn't talk much about it, but I do do, I was guided to start outdoor retreats for business women because we're so cooped up in these inside and we're not connected to mother nature. And when I'm preparing for these retreats, I often go outside and I basically share to my front yard, Hey, I'm working on this retreat. This is the day. This is the title. Here are the people I'm going to bring. And then I sit and wait. And I wait to just get a sign. And usually the wind picks up or the birds chirp louder. And if I get that kind of sign, I know I'm on the right path. And if nothing happens, I'm like, all right, I'll try again tomorrow. Something else must I have must have a missing piece. So when you go outside and ask nature if it's the right time for the retreat, is that also how you write that kind of channel your curriculum? Like what should I talk about to the women? Or is that more just like, should I be having a retreat for women right now? It's usually when I have pieces already together, I actually get a lot of information. And I think this happens to many people and women specifically is I get a lot of information at three in the morning at six in the morning. It's like, I just like wake up with ideas and I have to just grab my phone and start dictating because oftentimes I lose it, hoping it will come back again at another time. But usually I have pieces and parts already together that I go outside as though I'm pitching it to the universe saying, okay, this is what I'm thinking. This is the day. These are the people. And it's crazy how the wind will pick up or things will happen that it will be such an obvious yes. And other times where it's like dead, still silent. <laughs> and you, that's a no, the dead. That still. is a no. So what does your husband and your, I think you have kids or a kid, they think about your transformation from being this, you know, businesswoman to light worker, energy healer woman. Do they joke with you about it? Are they totally into it as well? Like how has that changed your family dynamics? That is super interesting question. 
So I would say that my kids came out more enlightened for sure. So there it's more, you know, they, I have just different stories, but I will say that probably the biggest shift has happened between my husband and I, and, uh, remember this started happening. You know, I started my first women's group in 2008, you know, the first book in 2011, Sedona 2013. So this has been a 15 year process Mm -hmm. and it's been little teeny steps off the side of my desk throughout this time. And, uh, luckily, luckily my husband has leaned into his own way of self discovery. So he listens to totally different books. He goes on different you know, trips or hikes, he is engaged in things that inspire him at work or starts, he's leading some stuff with students. So he doesn't do what I do by any means, but I will tell you that he too has been raising his frequency in his own way, not at the same pace, a pace that's effective for us, as Gary Zubak would say, right? That like your souls will either grow together or not. And I would say that in the grand scheme of things, we have each found our own way of having more inner peace. So he is also not on your exact path of energy work, but he's on his own personal growth path. And you guys kind of meet in the middle and can share what what you guys are learning on your own respective paths. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I would say that. I mean, he's in construction, mm-hmm. so it's not like he's walking around with a, you know, like a Zen tattoo and doing yeah. yoga on Saturdays by any means, but he is working on self-reflection activities. You know, he's doing a guy's trip to build water tanks with a couple friends of his, like he's doing it his own way. Mm-hmm which is working. It's working. And, you know, we've talked at different times where he's like, well, do you, you know, are you looking for somebody more spiritual or, and I'm like, no, I do that all day long. I don't need to have that in my house too. I need a place to just relax and have fun. And he brings a lot of fun to my life. That's wonderful. And if he's happy, then he doesn't need to do all this like energy healing work because the whole goal of why we're doing this is for happiness and fulfillment. And some people, you know, we, we want to do this to get to deeper levels of happiness and fulfillment. And if somebody else is totally there on their own through either their just natural personality or what they're doing in their life is, is helping them reach happiness and fulfillment, then they don't need to do this kind of work. He's our, your husband's already there. You know, we're all just get trying to get there, right? We're all just trying to figure yeah. out more about who we are. And I would say yeah. that, you know, if you've never read Seed of the Soul by Gary Zubak, it is fascinating because it really talks about our relationships and how our relationships bring forward our biggest lessons. Yes. And that book is also all about intention. So that's going to be my last question of the day. I know you speak a lot in your books about the power of intention. So how can somebody listening to this apply the power of intention into their lives? You know, I'm going to refer back to, I just did an interview with Kathleen that talks about body talk and she uses her body as a way to validate. So she sits and asks a question and if her body leans forward, it's a yes. And if her body leans back, it's a no. And so I think for many of us really relying and listening to ourselves, our souls, 
and doing it in ways that gives us confidence in where we're going. Because some of us are going down paths that we don't know anyone else that's been down that path or has done that type of work. And it's hard to know sometimes how to get down the path if you're on the right path. And I think really using your body as a tool or nature like I do uh, to determine if you are going down the right path, if you're unsure about your choices, if you are lost, maybe even in your choices at times, start small. Like, do I want to do this? Does this make me feel good? Does this align to my higher calling? Just asking yourself these three questions and just either standing and seeing if your body leans forward, or maybe you're outside like I do and see if the wind picks up, but you have a lot of information available to you. It's just about figuring out how to tune in. Can you repeat those three questions? Those were so good to ask yourself when facing a decision. Hmm. You know, I'm a channeler, right? So I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, what did I just say? Oh, I thought you were like, these are something from your book. Like, cause you yeah. said, ask yourself these questions, but yeah, like, like, I just want to say like, it's basically asking, am I on the right path? So does this yeah. feel good? Does this align with my higher calling? Is this the work I should be focused on now? Something along those yeah. lines that you're just getting a level of clarity. And I think when you put your hand on your chest, it really grounds you to be in your body when you're asking. And if you can stand perfectly still, you can learn how to really read the way your body's leaning. And, you know, over time you will feel yourself leaning forward or backward. Uh, and um, yeah, I just like my last retreat for women in business, I gave them pendulums and they were like, what the heck? And again, it's just about this inner knowing, tapping into what is already available to us, but is often deprogrammed, right? We're taught not to really listen to ourselves and our wisdom and follow our inner compass, Usually the life and the world wants to teach us what they want us to do. And like everything you need is like right here. I love it. People think they need to go to the Himalayas and like study in a cave for like a year with a shaman. And it's like, you can do that. And that's probably a beautiful journey. Or you can just get still in your body and just ask yourself because Mm -hmm. you and the shaman and everyone have access to the same higher power. So I love that. So that is the uh, truth. People I know are listening to this and loving JJ. We want to know how can we find you online and how can we stay in touch with you, JJ? No, thank you. Thank you, Rebecca, for this opportunity to share. And I'm just so excited to have this opportunity to talk about this with working women, because 10 years ago, that probably wouldn't have been the case. You can find me on most platforms under JJ DiGeronimo. I obviously spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and then Instagram. And then of course I have, you can find me, just Google me, you'll find me. But if you look for the book Seeking, make sure you put the number 74 after it or Seeking 74 and JJ, because you do not want to end up on a dating site. (laughs) You do not. Um, Okay. Unless you're taking my course, Seven Steps to Manifest Your Soulmate in Midlife, and then I'll show you how to navigate a dating site. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So so everybody- Thank you so much for listening to another powerful, enlightening episode to the Balance, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. My name is Rebecca Whitman, your host, helping you go from burned out to Balance, Beautiful, and Abundant. And if you could take 30 seconds out of your busy day and give us a five-star review, subscribe, share this with a friend, I would be just so grateful from the bottom of my heart. We are starting a movement of people who are not going through life like zombies, exhausted. We are 
having fun. We are achieving results while being balanced, beautiful, and abundant. So keep spreading this message. I appreciate you so much. Stay tuned next week when we'll have another incredible guest. And until we meet again, keep your vibe high and magnetize. Hey guys, if you're struggling with online dating and just sick and tired of swiping right, if you're just not meeting the right people, or maybe you're lonely and dreading going through another holiday season single, then I have great news. I am opening my Manifest Your Soulmate eight-week class for enrollment so you can find your life partner before the holidays. Just go to the link tree link in the show notes to schedule your Manifest Love call to learn more, and I can't wait to learn more about how I can help you find your true love for once and for all. If I can do it, I know I can help you.